Okay, here we go. You guys doing well? As I was saying, are you enjoying the weather? Isn't it awesome? This is, a, this is why we live here, isn't it? How many are missing the 110 degree uh, days? Show of hands. You guys are messed up. We will pray for you. Now, this is a great time of the year. Good to have you with us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. Chapter 21, we'll begin there, and then we will continue on into chapter 22. We'll look at the first seven verses of 22, uh, 21, and then look at the first five verses of 22. We've got a great study. This is our continuing series. In fact, we're wrapping up this series. Gospel in life, grace changes everything. Eternity, the world that is to come. That's what we're talking about here this morning. Let me begin with a story. Heard this story a number of years ago. Two guys died and went to heaven. One was a pastor, the other one, other one was a taxi cab driver. As uh, Gabriel was showing him around, the pastor was a little bit upset over the fact that his dwelling place, remember it says in the four, uh, 14th chapter of Gospel of John that he is going to prepare a place for us, a dwelling place. He was a little upset that the taxi cab driver got actually a bigger place than what he got because, hey, he preaches the gospel, this guy just drives a taxi cab. And Gabriel came over to him and said, hey, well, there's a few things that you don't understand. See, when you preached, people slept. When he drove, people prayed. <laughs> and uh, so no sleeping. I don't think you'll sleep through this one. This is really a wonderful uh, understanding of, of if you know Jesus, this is where we will spend eternity. It's just a glimpse of that. As Christians, when we lose loved ones, and uh, if you live long enough, you're going to lose someone that you love. And as Christians, when we lose loved ones, we grieve, but we do not grieve like the world grieves. Anybody know why? We, we know where they're going. We know if they, if they know Jesus. We have, actually, the Bible says that we have hope. We grieve, but we, we have hope. In fact, I put it on your notes there, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We grieve, but we don't grieve like the world because we have hope. And it's important to understand what hope is. Hope is not wishful thinking, but it's joyful certainty about the future. Joyful, confident expectation. And here's the hope that we can live with, and this is what I would hope that you live with in your heart day in and day out. That three things, and you've heard us talk about this in the past. We've actually done whole messages on, on these three points, but let me just kind of review them very quickly here. Is that... We know that as believers that our bad things, the bad things that happen to us, will do what? They will work for our, for our good. That's pretty amazing that God could take the messes of our lives and work them to our good and His glory. So we have that hope. So no matter what you're going through, that's a, that's a great hope to have, but it's more than that. Not only does He make the bad work for our good, but the truly great things can never, ever be taken from us. And the best of these great things is that we have God. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we have God in our lives. As we shared last week, that we're all learning how to love God so much. In other words, we talked about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And we're learning how to love God so much that we are content no matter what, no matter what our circumstances may be, because we have what we want most, and that's, that's God. We always have Him with us. 
And so those are the two things of hope that we have. So our bad things will work for our good. Our truly great things can never be taken from us. And guess what? The best is yet to come for us as believers in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about today. What's the worst that can ever happen to us as, as, as a person, as a human being? Die? No, that's the best. As a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, that's, that's certainly the best thing that can happen to us when you understand this whole perspective of where we go to spend eternity. And, and those three uh, aspects of hope that we live deep within our heart are found in Romans 8, 28 through 30, those, those verses there. So, let me ask you another question here real quick. Um, how many uh, play poker? Show of hands. How many, how many play poker? How many like playing cards? Show of hands. Show of hands. You're all going to hell. And... Uh, well, that's what I was told growing up, and you're not going to hell, uh, but, uh, but how many have ever had a, dealt a good hand, and you can't contain yourself because you're going to win? They might as well not even pick their cards up from the table because you know you've got them. And so the tendency, and you've heard me mention this before, is that when you have a winning hand, you're not uptight or nervous, you just enjoy the game. You guys agree with that? Guess what? As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a, the winning hand. Praise God. D do you live like that? Do you, do you, do you have that sense of, of the fact that your bad things will work for your good, truly great things cannot be taken from you, and the best is yet to come? Do you live with that sense of, of hope? Does hope infuse your heart and your life? It can it should. Not only do we have the winning hand, but as Christians, we really will live happily ever after. It's not just for fairy tales, it's for our lives. And, and that's when we read the, the end of the story and where we're headed as believers, we will live happily ever after. And so spiritually healthy Christians yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, you get that where Paul says to live is Christ and to die is, is gained. And then he goes, man, I'm really torn between these two things. I know that I, I you know, I still have some work to do and maybe God might keep me here so I can continue to build in your life. But oh, I yearn, oh, I long to go and be with God, which he says is better by far. So do you live with a sense of yearning to be with Jesus and to be in heaven? I think the reason why we don't as much here in America is we're just too comfortable. But we start thinking about death maybe when we have a close brush with it or we lose someone close to us. We're heading in that direction. Everyone here eventually will face death. And that's why it's kind of really important to say, okay, what's going to happen when we die? And how do we live with that sense of hope, knowing that the best is yet to come to our lives? When you look at the, the biblical meta-narrative, if you were to ask the question, what is the Bible all about? Here's the meta-narrative. Here's the story. Here's the, the panoramic view, not only of the Bible, but all of history. Chapter 1 and 2, creation. Chapter 3 is what? Anybody? The fall. And then from chapter 3 on... We have redemption. God enters into our dilemma, our mess. Man rebelled against God, and we had all these crazy consequences that we're going to talk about. And then God entered into our mess through the nation of Israel, bringing the Messiah to rescue us. And so through his first coming, we have redemption. 
the inauguration of him rescuing us, having a relationship with God, and then his second coming is restoration. And that's what we're talking about this morning, the restoration, the, the consummation, the completion of what Christ will come back and do with his second coming. So now when you look at the fall, there was this rippling effect that took place. We were spiritually alienated from God. Being alienated from God is going to create all sorts of, the next ripple effect would be psychological alienation. We're going to feel extremely insecure and not very safe, and we're just going to have a lot of turmoil inside, and then obviously that's going to ripple into social problems. So if I'm spiritually alienated from God, where I was supposed to look into the eyes of God and receive blessing and a sense of identity, and then out of that fullness then have relationships, but if that's not happening, then I'm going to jack up all my relationships in direct proportion to how I am alienated from God, and therefore psychologically alienated, therefore this rippling effect Social alienation, of course, we've got this whole world in sin and suffering as a result of man's rebellion. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this outline and we're going to work backwards because Jesus came to reverse the curse. And we're going to work from this physical alienation and talk about how when Jesus comes back, what life is going to be like in heaven with, with this physical restoration and then after that we'll talk about the social restoration and then the psychological rest restoration and then finally the spiritual restoration that he, he's going to come and bring to us. And we'll get glimpses of it, certainly, in between time, between his first and second coming. And we all pray for that regularly. But, in the means, but, but that's what we hope for. That's what we're headed. So we're going to pray. I'm going to have you bow your heads. But as you bow your heads, I'm going to ask you, are you here this morning? And you could really use an infusion of hope this morning. Maybe you're facing something, maybe a financial, relational, whatever it is. I want you to know God's here to, today. He's a God of all hope, and He wants to meet with you during our Bible study, during our time together. Just show of hands. How many are right there? You need that. You need that hope this morning. Show of hands. Yep. Yep. Let me pray for you. God, we are delighted to be here today. This is the day that you've made, and we rejoice in it. As it tells us in Romans 15, 13, may you, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace in believing as we learn to put our trust and faith in you so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound, that we would literally overflow, our lives would overflow in hope as we study your word, as we, as we see your beauty and your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's take a look at this text. This is absolutely a wonderful text. Last time I read this text, besides studying here, was a couple years ago. And I read it at the bedside of, a, of a, one of our, the saints here in our church that went on to be with the Lord. And uh, as, as I read this text, I was so overwhelmed with the presence of God in that place. And because I knew that uh, this gal was going to be in the, the arms of our Savior just within probably just a few minutes, hours or something. And I sensed his presence. I pray the same happens to us this morning as I read this. Revelations 21, starting in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This next verse is just an absolutely wonderful verse, verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write these, this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let's jump now to chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any, anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We will live happily ever after. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Wonderful words. And so let's, let's unpack this. We're working backwards and showing you how Jesus comes back into our lives to reverse this curse that we find ourselves in. And so we look at, first of all, number one on your notes, physical restoration. This is what he's talking about here. New heavens, new earth. And uh, so what is heaven? Where is heaven? Uh, there is a heaven, but he's going to come back and set up his kingdom, and we will spend all eternity with the new heavens and a new earth. The Bible talks about this here also in Isaiah 55, 17 and 2 Peter 3, 13. Here's your next fill in the blank. Let's kind of unpack this idea. Physical restoration. This garden city, the new Jerusalem, is paradise fulfilled. And let me reread chapter 21 of Revelation, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw the new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He's speaking somewhat metaphorically here when he says the sea will, is no more. He's not saying that there will be no more body of waters, but what he's saying is that when, you, when they speak of the sea, metaphorically, they're speaking of this churning and the raging and sin and rebellion, and there will be no more of that that we'll be experiencing. A little bit of what they're experiencing currently on the East Coast with the Hurricane uh, Sandy and that churning of the water. I don't know if you saw some of the news clips of the, the waves that are coming in on the, on the beach and some of what's happening there. And that's why he's saying that's not going to happen. There's not going to be that wickedness and evil in, our, in this new city. And I saw the holy city... The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So what comes down out of heaven? Not a suburb, but a city. 
A new city. How many have ever gone to New York City? You like New York City? I enjoy visiting. I, Nancy and I, we have a couple different cities we enjoy visiting. New York City is one with Central Park right there. Beautiful city. But he's talking about a, a garden city here. Really breathtaking. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so this garden city, the New Jerusalem, is paradise fulfilled. It is what Eden was supposed to have become it is the world God told Adam to build, but it took the second Adam, Jesus Christ, to accomplish it. If you want to read more, it's, it's really, literally breathtaking when you read verses 9 through 21 of chapter 21. It goes into more detail about this, this new Jerusalem, this garden city that we'll experience. Here's the next point in your notes. So this physical restoration also includes no more natural disasters, no more hurricanes, Hurricane Sandys, and no more broken bodies, no more painful toil at work. Work is not the curse, it's painful toil at work, which is part of the curse. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He said in verse, uh, actually in chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 3, no longer will there, will there be anything accursed. The curse is lifted. We will have, imagine this, perfect bodies. How many are looking forward to having a perfect body? What age do you think we'll be in heaven? Anybody? I think we'll be about 30, 33. That's when Jesus, that's the body, kind of the age of the body that he's at. I think that's when we hit our optimum. You know, when we hit, when we're kind of at most athletes, they hit that optimum about 30, 32, 33. Some can go beyond that. Some, like me, I hit my optimum at about 12. And it's been downhill ever since. And uh, how many, I mean, when you think about that, I mean, the older I get, the more, it, the harder it is to get out of bed in the morning. There's muscles, you know, and just, uh, everything aches and hurts, and so we get brand new bodies. Imagine that in heaven, brand new bodies. Y'all going to be bald, too, because that's perfect. Baldness is perfect. God made a few perfect heads, and he put hair on the rest, and so y'all be bald. Okay, maybe not. But if you're looking for a guy, if, if that's not true, then look for the guy with the big old afro. That'll be me. I'll just be bouncing around with a big old, big old head of hair. But, uh, but it's interesting. I had, I, I, my wife has a, uh, gal, uh, a young women's group that meets at our home, and I work in the office during that time. And from time to time, I can hear a little bit of what they're talking if they're, if they're loud. So much for anonymity, huh? But uh, I try not to listen, but this last week, one of the gals was talking about heaven, so I was like, that's interesting, because that's what I'm going to talk about, and she said this, she said, someone asked me, are we going to know each other in heaven? And the gal responded by saying, of course we are, we're not going to be dumber than what we are now. <laughs> I thought, that's a great response. Well, for some reason, we get this idea that in heaven, we're just kind of be walking around like zombies. Do I know you? I don't know if I know you or not. It's like, what the? It's like, no. We're going to know as we are fully known. 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. How fully known are we? How much does God know us? He knows the number of hairs on this head. I don't even know that. And so it's really interesting. So he knows the number of hairs on our head, and yet we will know as we are fully known. We are going to know. We're going to remember. We're going to look into the face of our family and friends. I mean, there's, it's, just, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be amazing. But no more natural disasters, broken bodies, painful toil at work. And then uh, the next thought here under physical restoration, the things we love are not merely the best this life has to offer. They are gifts 
from God and previews of the greater life to come with God. And so we, obviously you get this from this whole Garden City, but did you notice in, in chapter 22, verse 2, he says, on either side of the river, the tree of life. When did we remember reading about the tree of life? Wasn't that in the garden at the beginning of the book? Yeah, but there seems to be two trees of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. You guys like fruit? 12 kinds of fruit? I like that. You know, my, my wife and I, we do these, uh, in fact, I just finished up mine, but we do these kind of Jamba Juice. You guys know what Jamba Juice is, don't you? This is better than Jamba Juice, okay? We do it at home and we just, because Jamba Juice puts a bunch of ice and stuff in there. No ice in ours, baby. It's frozen fruit. And it's full and it's, oh, yeah. And I usually drink it on Sunday mornings a little bit before the first service and then in between the break kind of energizes me, but we love that. I'm just, I'm, as I'm thinking about that, that's good stuff. We also eat a lot of fruit, and uh, we'll put walnuts or something on our fruit with yogurt, you know, sugar-free yogurt. Oh, that's good stuff. So let me ask you this. In fact, you can discuss it with the folks sitting around you. What do you love most about life? Discuss it with the folks around you. What are some of the things you just really love about life? Because what we're, what we're learning here is that these are gifts from God and just previews of the greater life to come. Real quick, do that with the folks around you. Okay, what are some of the things you guys enjoy about life? Anybody, you want to yell them out to me? Someone say bacon. Someone say bacon. I like bacon, yeah. Bacon on everything, baby. Huh? How many, just, how many like all the different kinds of foods and stuff like that? I had someone this last week. Have you ever had a, um, this is from Rock Springs Cafe. Have you ever had one of their pies from Rock Springs Cafe? Up here on I-17, is that good stuff? Someone brought me a coconut cream pie from Rock Springs Cafe. And I just buried my face right in the middle. It was good, man. It was, it was all good stuff. How about, do you like this time of the year? I, I mean, I, I love, uh, I think I actually like, I like Christmas, but I like Thanksgiving because it's when we hang out with all of our family and friends and then we feast. And so you got food, friends, family, football. Yeah, 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 yeah. You enjoy all those? Those are all gifts from God. Nature. Didn't mention nature, did we? You guys enjoy nature? You enjoy going out and saying, do we have some beautiful sunsets here? Anybody like hiking? I was out on the bike last, uh, what were we, last night? Yeah, so Lori out there with her friend, and we were out riding with Nancy on the back of my, our tandem, and dude, man, it was beautiful. This weather, <laughs> it's great. These are all Things that we love are not merely best this life has to offer. They are gifts from God and previews of the greater life to come. It tells us, I gave you some cross-references here, but let me give you just one. I'll read one for you. 1 Timothy 4, 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And uh, so, so many great things, but those are just glimpses of what awaits us. Now, here's what you need to understand. Everybody look up here. You've got to get this. 
as believers, as believers in Jesus Christ, this is as close, this earth, where we live right now in this life is as close as to hell as we'll ever be. But if you don't know Jesus, this is as close to heaven you'll ever be. And I mean that. You see the names over here? These are the names of people that you guys, people here at Desert Breeze, you put names up here of people that you know that don't know Jesus. There's well over 2,000 names up here, and we are praying like crazy for these folks. Because without Christ, they will spend an eternity away from Him. That's serious stuff. We take that serious here. There's some 200,000 unchurched people within a five-mile radius of Desert Breeze. And you're not going to believe this. Well, maybe you will, because if you have faith, you will. This morning, someone on that list showed up to church, and her friend took her over there and showed her her name. And she was overwhelmed. (laughs) Praise God. That's That's just a glimpse. That's just a little bit of what God's doing here. She was just overwhelmed when she saw her name up here. I've been praying for you, and look at this. And she showed up today. There's going to be many more people showing up to Desert Breeze going to church as a result of our prayers for them. So it's serious stuff. So we've got this whole physical restoration. That takes us now to social restoration. So physical, social restoration. We see in chapter 21, verse 2. Did you notice that it said not just a, this new city, this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, but prepared as a bride. What is he talking about? He's talking about not just a, it's not just a place, It's not just a new city, but it's a people, the bride of Christ, unity, harmony, glory to God because of our our all getting along and, and we're together celebrating our union with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Another uh, couple verses also talk about this idea of the nations. Uh, This wasn't part of our text, but I'm going to read verses 23 and 25 of chapter 21. It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations, so it speaks of nations, and it also speaks of the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So it speaks of kings and nations. These kings certainly won't be above Jesus who will rule the earth, but you've got kings and nations and then uh, we also see that it's the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations there in verse 2 of chapter 22. So you get the idea of this multiculturally wealthy city with no violence or war or racism. So in fact, let me give you the next fill in the blank as it relates to this social restoration. We'll experience all the best of human relationships with none of the worst. I think one of the best books on the topic is uh, this book, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, very biblically-based book, really rock-solid. Let me read just an excerpt here from the book. This is what he says. The burdens and tragedies of life will be lifted from us, will be free of what displeases God and damages relationships, no abortion clinics or psychiatric wards, no missing children, no rape or abuse, no drug rehabilitation centers, no bigotry, muggings or killings, no worry, depression or economic downturns, no wars, no unemployment, no anguish over failure and misconceptions or miscommunication, no pretense or wearing masks, no cliques, no hidden agendas, backroom deals, betrayals, 
secret ambitions, plots, or schemes. Imagine mealtimes full of stories, laughter, and joy without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything that eclipses joy. That will be heaven. Amazing. Here's the next point on your notes. This is what uh, I love. I'm looking forward to this. A contagiously thrilling ultimate reunion with family and friends will be followed by endless adventures together. So that's all part of that social restoration. I have a number of family members that are in heaven currently. My first, uh, first funeral I went to was when I was a 12-year-old boy. It was my grandpa who took me hunting and fishing in the summertime. I was devastated. I had no concept of death. But one of these days, I'm going to be hanging out with my grandpa again. I'm going to see my grandma, and I got another grandpa, and a grandma, and, a, and uh, I've got two cousins that are there, and I've got aunts and uncles. I can't wait. Amazing. And then the next is psychological restoration. So you've got physical restoration, social restoration, then psychological restoration. Next fill in the blank there. Every past hurt will be healed. And we get that from verse uh, 4 of chapter 21 of Revelation once again. Check this out. I mean, this is, this is good stuff. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I, I mean, I, I flash back to growing up in my home and falling down and scratching my knee or my elbow and my mom coming along and loving me and wiping the tears from my eyes. And I see that with my grandkids, with, with the, my kids and how they relate to their kids. And I see someone that's really hurt. We come out of this life, we're hurt, we're broken. And our Savior sits down with us and He wipes away our tears because He loves us. No more past hurts. None of that. That's gone. That in itself, I mean, that would be amazingly healing. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says that we see through a glass darkly. And what he's talking about, the mirrors in those days, it was almost kind of like you're looking into this. Uh, the mirrors were pa polished brass. And so you could kind of make out the outline, but you couldn't, uh, you couldn't see the details. And so he's saying that's kind of how we live in this life. There's just a lot that we don't understand, we can't see. But then face to face, he's talking about coming face to face with God. The love chapter, face to face with God. We will know as we are fully known. I believe the first words that are going to be uttered from our mouths will be, will be this. When we come face to face, ah, oh, now I see. Now I realize why. Now it all makes sense. Oh my goodness, God, you are, you are infinite in love. You are perfect in wisdom. You are unbelievably sovereign. God, you are working all of this out for my good and your glory. See, I believe those will be the first words that will be uttered from our our mouths, based on what the Bible teaches, as He wipes away the tears, every past hurt will be healed. Here's, here's the oh, here's another one. Second Corinthians four seventeen. It says this: Our light and momentary trials, our light, light, light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us. First of all, I know some of you are going through trials, and you wouldn't call them light and momentary, would you? You know, if I came up to you and say, "How you doing?" Light and momentary. No, you wouldn't. And if I said that to you, you know, you'd probably punch me. You know, I said, so how are you doing? Oh, it couldn't be worse. Light and momentary. <laughs> there I go. Boom. But that's biblical. But he's saying in light of, in, in light 
of eternity, with the perspective of eternity. He's saying our, our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's why my favorite quote, you've probably heard it a number of times, when it relates to that verse, St. Teresa of Avila, she says, the first moment in the arms of Jesus is going to make a thousand years of misery on earth look like one night in a bad hotel. I love that. Here's the next one. Every desire will be satisfied. So not only this psychological restoration, every past hurt will be healed, but every desire will be satisfied. Did you notice in verse 6 of chapter 21, he describes this, uh, this river. He says, to the thirsty... I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. I mean, we spend our paychecks on trying to find satisfaction. And he's saying, without payment. Man, your hearts, the longings of your heart will be satisfied. And then the first uh, verse of 22, he describes it. He talks about the water of life. He says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Uh, those are just, it's amazing description. You may think you want or need a thousand different things. I mean, we tend to do that. I mean, we're bombarded with billion-dollar industry of advertisements thinking that I can't live without that. And, and we think there's so many things that we can't live without or that we desperately need. But God is the one, God is the one you really long for. He is our most satisfying reality. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. That's Psalm 1611. And then another favorite psalm of mine is uh, Psalm 63, 3, where he says, His love is better than life. What's the best thing in life? His love's still better. Great car? His love's better. Great job? His love's better. Great marriage, his love is still better. Yeah, I just, my kids, for them to turn out good, his love is better. That's what he's saying. His love is better than life. Every desire will be satisfied. Here's the next one. Every, every identity issue will be resolved. Thank God for that, man. This is where I struggle. <laughs> I try to build my identity on so many different things, and you do too. We all are guilty of it. See, we tend to think that, that our identity is based on our performance. If I perform a certain way, you know, if I achieve, accomplish, acquire, that's our whole society. I feel good about myself, but then when things don't go the way I think, I don't feel so good about myself. But that's not how we're to live our life. Our identity is in Christ and in the cross and what he did for us. And then out of that fullness, then we pursue these other things. See, if I pursue relationships, if I pursue a job accomplishment or academics or whatever it is, before I've achieved a sense of identity in Christ, all of my efforts become an effort to kind of, to fill up this void inside. It becomes about making a name for me rather than proclaiming the name of Jesus. I'm operating out of deficit. But when I understand my identity is in Jesus, that's a done deal. Then I operate out of fullness, the things that I pursue. Those just become opportunities to put on display the glory of God, not to seek my own glory and in heaven, our identity issues will be resolved. Where did I get that? Well, verse 7 of 21, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's our identity, child of God. Also, verse 
uh, 4, verse, uh, chapter 22, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's identity. He's talking, those are identity issues. You know how you can tell when your identity is misplaced? Just hang out with Pastor Ray and watch how he responds when things don't go well, okay? No, don't do that. But uh, look at your own life. When you don't understand the infinite eternal wealth of your identity in Christ, you're going to be, you're going to have, you're going to be covetous, envious, anxious, jealous, because you're desperate for all these things, whatever these things might be, because they're so attached to your identity. But man, when you rest in Him, you're able to let go of those things and pursue those things for the right reasons. And so that's, that's part of the psychological restoration. And then we've got the spiritual restoration. Oh my goodness, this is the best ever. And so it's the spiritual restoration that leads to the psychological restoration that leads to the social restoration that leads to the physical. But let's, let's wrap it up with the, the spiritual restoration here. And, and this is uh, the next fill in the blank. The glory of God will be the air we breathe we get that in verse 3 where it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God. And did you notice a couple of places that we read? It said that there's not going to be need for sun or moon or any of these things. Why is that? Because the glory of God will be so prevalent in the new heavens and the new earth. No need for any of that. It will be the air we breathe. Exodus 33:18. Let, let me just kind of give you a little glimpse of what the glory of God means. Moses was getting ready to, to, uh, to lead the nation of Israel through the wilderness and into the promised land. And so in Exodus 33, what does he pray for? He prays for safe travels? No, no, no. That we'll make it to the promised land? No, 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 no. What does he pray for? Show me your glory. And in essence, this is what he's saying. I would rather have your glory and wander around in the wilderness the rest of my life rather than to go into the promised land. Remember, land of milk and honey, slice of heaven on earth, rather than to go into the promised land without your glory. Is the glory of God really important? Absolutely. In fact, it is so stunning, so over the top, so amazing that uh, the three of the disciples that were the closest to Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John, went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think I've got that on your notes there. Um, yeah, it's Luke 9, 28 through 36. And they were so overwhelmed with the presence of God. Elijah and Moses showed up there. But the presence of God and the glory of God was so radiant. You guys remember how Peter responds? You know, Peter was the guy that constantly put his foot in his mouth, you know, constantly saying the wrong thing. But this time he was like, he was so overwhelmed. He goes, ah, 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 let's build a, let's build a tabernacle. Let's build a place. Let's, let's just live here. Let's just hang out here. We don't want to leave here. This is so breathtaking. This is so beautiful. We want to live here. We want to just dwell here. Let me ask you this. How many have ever experienced this through worship or through the study of God's Word or a moment, well, well, maybe even while I'm preaching, that you have a sense of the presence of God. It was so rich, so strong. You didn't want to leave that moment. You just want to, whoo, show of hands. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Maybe it was when you were watching a sunset. Maybe in the backyard watching your kids play. It's just like there was that overwhelming sense of, wow, I see the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. I see the glory of God. Your eyes were open for a moment, a moment in time, God giving you a glimpse of, of Him. In fact, the glory of God, as you try to define it, the glory of God is His astounding attributes combined. It is His infinite 
indescribableness, his supreme significance, his breathtaking beauty. In fact, it was the glory of God that was behind the curtain, remember, in the Holy of Holies? And once a year, the the high priest could go back in behind that, and they had to tie a a rope around his ankle because if they didn't do all the purification stuff right, that the the holiness of God was so powerful and the And the glory of God was so powerful that he would be struck dead and nobody would dare go in there and they'd have to pull him back out. But what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The curtain was what? It was torn from what? From top to bottom. In essence, God's saying, no more. You can have and experience my glory. You can have access into the holy of holies. You can know me. You can experience me. You can have more joy than anything this world can offer you. And, and so the glory of God was what was behind the veil and now it's open available to us so the glory of God will be the air we breathe. Here's the next one. To see God's face will be our greatest joy. The joy by which all, other, all others will be measured. Remember when uh, Moses was asking, uh, show me your glory and uh, he said, well, nobody can see my glory and live but now after Christ coming now we can see his glory and live because of what Christ has done our sin has been placed upon Christ through the cross and we have received his righteousness and so when we see God face to face not only will we see his face and live but we will likely wonder if we ever lived before we saw his face everything you've ever wanted or longed for multiplied a trillion times will be present in your heart the first moment of his embrace of you, when you see him face to face, the one who would rather die than to be without you for all eternity in heaven. Amazing. Here's the next one. We were created to worship God. We were created to worship God. There's no higher pleasure, and at times we'll lose ourselves in worship, and at other times we'll worship him through our activities, cooking and building and exploring or enjoying conversation with with a friend and we see that in chapter 22 verse 3 it just says that we are going to spend time worshiping him worshiping is uh, just means to fill your mind with the beauty and the value of something as I was filling I was filling my stomach with the beauty and the value of that coconut cream pie it's you know and making sure that I didn't move from just worshiping the pie but worshiping God through it if I ate too much of the pie then I'd be worshiping the pie and so you've got to watch that. But, but that's a little bit, when we worship God, we're, we're, we're filling our mind with the beauty and the value of Him. We're going to spend time in His presence and enjoy Him. And as it says here, um, let me just read the verse, verse 20, chapter 22, verse 3. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him to savor and enjoy there will absolutely be nothing boring about heaven. I want you to just bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to read to you a text from this book, Heaven. I just want you to kind of envision this, what heaven might be like. And then we're going to end with this song on heaven and, and uh, we'll wrap things up. But let me just read this to you. It's just really amazing picture. I imagine... Our first glimpse of heaven will cause us to gasp in amazement and delight. That first gasp will likely be followed by many more as we continually encounter new sights in that endlessly wonderful place. And it will be far better than anything we've seen. So look out a window. Take a walk. Talk with your friend. 
Use your God-given skills to paint or draw or build a shed or write a book. But imagine it, all of it, in its original condition, the happy dog with the wagging tail, not the snarling beast beaten and starved, the flowers unwilted, the grass undying, the, the blue sky without pollution, people smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, and empty. If you're not in a particularly beautiful place, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've ever been, complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. Think of friends or family members who love Jesus and are with Him now. Picture them with you, walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You are laughing, playing, talking, and reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick an apple or orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. Now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall to your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you. At last, you're with the person you were made for in the place you were made to be. Everywhere you go, there will be new people and places to enjoy, new things to discover. What's that you smell? A feast, a party's ahead, and you're invited. There's an exploration, there's exploration and work to be done, and you can't wait to get started. Father God, thank you for this glimpse of heaven this morning. Thank you for the promises that we have in your word that the best is yet to come. But God, thank you also that you can take the messes of our lives and work them for our good and your glory. And thank you for the promise, the hope that we have that, that the greatest that we have can never be taken from us, your presence in our life. May we live lives of unbelievable hope. May it overflow our lives for your glory in Jesus' name. So may we be a place here at Desert Breeze, when people come in and hang out with us, that we would give them a foretaste of heaven so that they might have a taste for heaven and the one that will make heaven heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, may we live as people who have the winning hand, not all stressed out about life, knowing we know the future because we know the one who holds the future, and he's madly in love with us. And he's going to take our bad things and work them for our good. And the truly great things cannot be taken from us. And the best is yet to come. For those of us that know Jesus, we will indeed live happily ever after. And may that be ours in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Don't forget baptism. If you uh, have made a confession of faith and want to get baptized next week, our big celebration, we got a class right up here. Also, if you'd like to add a few names... We've got, some, uh, we've got a marker down there on the floor. You can add a couple names to our list that we're going to continue to pray like crazy for. God bless you. Have a great day.